Praise the Lord this morning. And I was uh, just kind of considering the close of our, our series on Elijah and Elisha and how we've seen a lot of the, the truths that are, can be applied to the church and to our lives from, from those two prophets. And I was just kind of considering how to close this series. And a verse was quickened to me from Luke um, Gospel of Luke that kind of summarizes the purpose of these prophets and what God wants to do in the last days. And and if we can turn to the book of Luke and Luke chapter 1 and verse 17, this is the period where the angel appears to Zechariah as he's ministering in the temple. He's going to put some incense upon the, the altar in the holy place and an angel appears to him. That was probably a surprise, right? You to say the least. It had been 400 years since Malachi had been written, and I don't know what happened. We don't know what happened in between that, but here he is, just continuing on, and an angel appears and starts to speak to him about a son he would have in his old age, right? and uh, his that son was to be called John, and we would know him later on as John the Baptist, but. The angel is speaking to Zechariah about his son, and he says this in Luke one seventeen. It says, "He will go; he shall go before him." Speaking of Christ, that John will go before Christ in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children, the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. And so, here's kind of like a summary of what God wanted to do through the lives of, of Elijah, and you could say Elisha, who kind of continued on in that same vein to minister. And so we see that God has a plan and a purpose for Elijah, even at his first coming, because John came in the spirit and the power. That wasn't Elijah, but it was John in the spirit and the power. But we also know God has a plan in the last days because Elijah is going to come literally He'll come in the flesh, and he's one of the two witnesses that will preach Christ in Jerusalem during the tribulation because he's coming to prepare the way for the second coming. Just as John prepared the way for the first coming, he prepared the hearts of a whole generation of people, of Jews and Gentiles, right? Because the Gentiles were even coming out, right? Even the, the Roman soldiers were coming out saying, well, what do we need to do to get right and to, to be right with God? And and it, it's, it's like it prepared their hearts for what was to come. And when Jesus appeared, their hearts were already pointed towards him because John had done that. Well, in a sense, that's what God is looking for today. Because he's, we know he's coming at his second coming, but he's also coming in a wave of revival that the world has never seen. You know, he's coming to appear to, to the world, but... You know, even in that, the Lord needs people who are ready to be the John the Baptist to to point them, to prepare their hearts, to tell them about Christ, and to get them ready. And so, in a sense, God is calling today who will be a an Elijah and a John the Baptist in their generation to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Whereas John literally was a voice in the wilderness. Sometimes it's lonely out in the wilderness and 
it's like, well, I'm talking here, but there's not a lot of fruit going on. Well, I don't know how long John was in the wilderness before he got fruit, but he was there. He was just being willing to be a voice. And then in a quick time, the world paid attention. But that's what God is looking for. He's looking for laborers in his harvest who can operate in that same spirit. And at at some point, maybe in that same power when he begins to move, because there's a new generation that needs to be prepared, that needs to be made ready. Now, we notice from this verse that there's a threefold description. And that's kind of what I wanted to look at because I thought, man, this verse sure does encapsulate basically the purpose of, of Elijah and Elisha and what God wants to do in us and in his church in the last days. And so I wanted to look at these three areas, and, and we can read this again in verse 17. Luke one seventeen says, To turn the hearts of the fathers to the children, the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. And so, here's what God desires to do, what he wants to do in the world, in his church, and in our lives. Because what he's really looking for is the people that are made ready, made ready for his coming. And so there's that threefold part. There's our relationship with others, or relationship with, with man, you could say, how we relate to his truth, and how we relate to God himself. And so let's look at this first one, to turn the hearts of the children to the fathers. That's kind of an interesting phrase because it describes the family, right? the home life. And the very first thing he addresses when he talks about the spirit and power of Elijah coming, he talks about the family structure. And we realize today that's under attack, isn't it? Right? The family structure. In fact, it's, it's actually, it's been almost demolished when you think about it in our, in our nation. Right? It's, it's under attack, especially in the world. It almost doesn't exist anymore in some places, but God wants to build it back up. He wants to build up that family structure because that's what brings stability. It, wa- it brings stability in the family when and that family is united together. But then it doesn't stop there. When you have united families, you have a united community. And when you have united communities, you have a united nation. All right? That's in the, in the world, but in the church, if our families aren't flowing together, then it's going to be the same in our church. The enemy is actively seeking to destroy the unity of the family life the unity of, of the relationships between husbands and wives and, you know, parents and children and so forth. And you can easily find examples in the, in the world how the enemy is doing just that, right, the, uh, attacking the family. There's many things we could say about this, but I just wanted to bring out a very general truth regarding this, and, and that's the thought of relationships. And it even goes beyond the family, right, but our relationships— I thought it was really interesting that the very first thing that's brought out about going in the spirit and power of Elijah, it's it's about relationships between one another, man and man, whether it's in the family, and we can make this broader and say even outside of the family, that thought of relationships. And, you know, we know that the law summarizes everything. We're to love God 
and we're to love others. But in this instance, an angel starts with loving others, loving each other, having that love and that, that relationship in a right way flowing with one another. That's what the angel described with John the Baptist. It starts with relationships. Now, of course, the example is the, the parents and the children, or you could say the father and the son. I mean, that's the, the prime example because we have our heaven, the relationship with our heavenly father and his son. And Jesus says, I want you, he said that to his disciples, I want you to have that same relationship. He wants us to experience that. And he gives us that picture of how it should work in our lives, how it should work in our families, how it should work with each other. So in a general sense, the law of love has to be fulfilled in our relationship with others. And so if we want to be the Elijah's, the John the Baptist of our generation, that our relationships with other people have to be right. They have to be in order. Not just in order, but they have to have love as their basis. To be used by God to flow in that same spirit, we have to have love for others, even our enemies. Jesus gave an answer to someone because they asked, trying to kind of get Jesus to, you know, trip up in his words or something. He said, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? And, and we can look here in Luke chapter 10, it's in verse 26, and, and I'll just summarize this, but it's up there on the screen. And, he said, and Jesus basically said, well, what does the scripture say? And this guy was savvy enough that he could reply back. He knew what the scripture said. He kind of knew the summary well, I'm, I need to love the Lord with everything, with my heart, soul, strength, and mind. And I also need to love my neighbor. He knew enough to give the right answer. I got to love my neighbor. I love how Jesus do, does it. He just points to the word. He points people back to the word, and they have to quote the word. And he said, well, if you want eternal life, there you go. Fulfill that. And so what does the man say? Well, okay, I have a question. Who's my neighbor? He didn't want to uh, appear guilty because probably in his heart of hearts, he knew he wasn't fulfilling part of that. And so, well, who is my neighbor? And so Jesus responds with a story. And he talks about a man who is traveling on the road to Jericho and he's beaten up, right? He's robbed and so forth. And he's laying there left for dead by, by the robbers. And he talks about a, uh, a priest, the highest level of society there to be the example to everyone else of, of godly conduct. He sees the man and he passes to the other side, keeps going. Now, why he did that, anyone's guess. I mean, you could say, well, he's, he might be dead and then the, he would be ritually defiled and have to go through all that and offer a sacrifice to get clean. He just passed by. A Levite then comes and he's not up as, as high, but he's, he's still there. He's, he's, you know, one of the Levites and ministering to God, and he's still an example. He sees the, the guy lying there on the road, and he does the same thing, passes on by, goes around him. And then there was a Samaritan. And as soon as you said the word Samaritan, everyone knew what, what you were talking about because they were the outcasts. They were, the, they were related 
but they were a mixture of other things. And they, they had basically their own religion and they believed in their own holy temple on a holy mountain and so forth. And so there was legitimate mixture there, but the Jews just despised them. I mean, they were pretty much treated them as an enemy. But the Samaritan comes, who is their enemy, and he sees this man and he binds up his wounds, pours in the oil and the wine, carries him to an inn, you know, ensured care for him, gave money. He get, you know, basically everything he needed. And the moral of the story is quite interesting because you would expect Jesus to say, well, who's your enemy? Well, okay, here's a Jew and he should love the Samaritan. But he actually flips it around and he said, no, here's your enemy loving you. You need to do the same. The hero of the story is the Samaritan who'd show love to a Jew who he would normally treat as an enemy. And so Jesus is saying, if you want to fulfill the law, then you need to, when someone is treating you as an enemy, you turn around and treat them with love. That is to be the standard of our relationship with God and with other people. Now, we read this last week in Matthew 5, verse 46. It says, he's talking about the the Pharisees here. It says, if you love those that love you, what reward do you have? That's easy. Everyone does that. Even Even the unsaved do that very well. They love those who love them. They love their family and so forth. Do not even the publicans do that. And, and some people have this mentality, I'm going to love those who treat me good, and I'll show them the love of Christ. But uh, it's, it's as if there was kind of in, the, in this culture in this day, there was a license to treat those who are outside of their accepted group as an enemy. And that wasn't even bad. They had free reign to treat them as an enemy because they weren't part of the group. But Jesus wanted to destroy that mentality. And so he's saying here that the way that we can come to know our Heavenly Father and relate rightly to him, to be a people prepared for him is by prioritizing the way we relate to others, even those we might perceive as an enemy. And he puts that first in this verse when he's talking about Elijah coming in the spirit and power of Elijah. He's coming to restore relationships so that we have right relationships. The Jewish leaders thought they could have it both ways, right? The best of both ways or so. Be full of love, but still have a hard heart towards other people. James puts it this way, referencing how we speak to others and so forth. He says this in James 3.9. He said, On one instance we bless God, even the Father, then on, on, in another instance, we curse men which are made in the likeness of God. Out of the same mouth proceeds blessing and cursing. My brothers, this should not be so. Does a, does a fountain send forth at the same time and the same place sweet water and bitter? He says, my brethren, these ought not to be so. And so our goal is to be prepared and to become Elijah's in our day. And if that is, then we, we need to say, Lord, let there only be sweet 
let what flows from me let you know because you know we can have the sweet water at times we can meet with God we can get victory in an area but then in another area in relating in another way sometimes the not so sweet comes out that's what we got to deal with that's that's where the law of love needs to really be worked within us but that's so important because that must be as James says my brethren this must not be so in us or as Paul said later on he said let this not even be named among you let this this sin this falling short not even be named among you God wants to work within us so that our relationships with others are full of love, even for those who treat us as their enemy. But our response is to be love. Now, the second aspect, looking back in Luke, it says to to turn the disobedient to the wisdom of the just. To turn the disobedient to the wisdom of the just. And, And so in the first part, we focus on relationships. God wants to restore that. Right? He gives us that picture of parents and children, that relationship being restored. Speaking of natural families, but it's a picture of, of a spiritual relationship. Right? Whether we acknowledge it or not, we're all children of our Heavenly Father. Created by Him, and it's His great desire to restore all of us to that wonderful place of a relationship with him to coming back to being that place of a son or daughter of our heavenly father submitted to him learning from him following him you know our starting place is kind of like we're coming out of the world we're kind of like an orphan not being under the protection of our heavenly father well Technically, we have another father, (laughs) but thankfully God delivers us and he puts us under him. He desires us to know him as our heavenly father. But how do we do that? Well, in John 14, 21, Jesus shares how we can know the love of the father. And it's very practical. John 14, 21 says, he that has my commandments and keeps them is he that loves me, and he that loves me shall be loved by my Father. And I will love him and manifest myself unto him. So we find here that the love relationship with the Heavenly Father is actually founded upon being obedient to his word, seeing his word, and then keeping it. Turning the disobedient to the wisdom of the just is basically he that hears my commandments he keeps them he does them and then God manifests his love towards us we experience his love in a greater way you know a lot of a lot is said about love today I mean you can just turn on the Disney movie or something and they talk about love and this that and the other and how you know how we can have it and so forth but when it comes down to it The way to truly know and experience the love of God is very practical. And sometimes we think it's very boring. It's just obeying what he tells us to do. That's the foundation that causes us to experience his love to the greatest degree. The more we do it, the more 
We are walking in his truth and keeping his truth. The more we'll know his love because we're being founded upon the rock. Jesus said this in one of his parables in Matthew chapter 7. Matthew seven twenty four. he says, Whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I'll tell you what he's like. And he gives us a really vivid picture. He's like a wise man that built his house upon the rock, and the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and they beat upon that house. That was a pretty intense storm. We know intense storms down here. So we can, we can understand, well, if you've ever been through that, they're loud. They're scary. But when your house is upon the rock, it fell not because of where it was founded. You know, obeying what God is speaking to us in his word and when he's speaking to us by his Holy Spirit and we're quickened or we're checked in our hearts or something's going on, we know the Spirit is speaking to us. When we keep that, it puts us in a position of safety because we're founded upon the rock. When we keep his word, when we obey it. And that's where the Father dwells and that's where we come to know him in an intimate way. But when there are areas where we're not conforming, right? when we're not holding to his word, what happens is the wind and the water comes. Nothing's going to stop them from coming, by the way. They're always going to come. The, the difference is what happens to our foundation. Because the wind and the water comes and it undermines that. Even if it's a little area, it can still undermine it and just suck out our foundation and make us unstable and all sorts of trouble happens. Because what is under us is sand. Speaking of areas that aren't conformed to the wisdom of the just, to his truth. And, you know, we've probably all seen the news. Maybe you've seen like a, the beach after a hurricane and there's these lines of these, usually they're mansions on the beach, right? Or all those nice houses. And, and what happened is the storm came in, the, top, the surge came in, and those houses were nice and firm. They were on sand dunes and so beautiful. And then you look and you see, whoa, the sand dune is gone. Now you see like half a house kind of tilted or it's on stilts and it's like, that's not a good place to be. They weren't upon the rock. But, you know, I, I have yet to see a lighthouse that's built on sand, right? The lighthouse is always built on rocks, and it, it's right next to the ocean, but, and they go through the worst of the hurricanes and the storms, but they're always there, shining their light because they're founded upon the rock, and they remain. And so the message of the Elijahs and the John the Baptists of the last days those, you know, those flowing in the Spirit will be to turn people unto the Lord. And to do that, we focus on our natural relationships, but also focus on doing what's right in God's sight. Obeying the truth, because it causes us to be founded upon the rock. And I realize sometimes that's not a popular message. It's kind of a boring message. That's Sunday school. But it's eternal. It's what brings life to us. The last one, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Really, this is the ultimate purpose, to be ready for the coming of the Lord. And 
You know, the purpose of everything that happens in the last days is to prepare the heart of man. Well, actually, when you think about it, we're all going to meet the Lord sometime. Whether we remain until the last days we endure or not, that depends on how you look at it. Whether that's God's mercy that we endure or his mercy that he, he comes for us a little earlier and we don't have to go through that. That's up to God. But, you know, he's coming for us all. The thing is, we want our heart to be ready. The worst thing ever is for God to come for us and our heart isn't ready. We're not ready for eternity. We haven't done and prepared in a way that he wants us to prepare. And so God is going to meet mankind in different ways according to their heart. Some are going to see the bridegroom and just rise up to meet him in the air. And God has done a beautiful work in their lives. Others are going to see him, but the reaction is going to be a little different. They're going to see him as the judge of the whole earth, and they're going to, they're going to be scared, and they're going to try and hide in caves and rocks and so forth because their life isn't right. But the whole key and purpose in our lives now and in the last days is to be a people made ready to meet the Lord. There's a verse that's quickened to me when I was reading my, my Bible reading in, in Luke. And this is in Luke 12. And I realize this is kind of a negative thing how it's brought out, but it can really speak to us. Luke 12, 46. It says, the, the Lord of that servant, and this is, this is a wicked servant, by the way. He, wasn't, he was being naughty. He wasn't doing what he was called to do. It says, the Lord of that servant is going to come in a day when he looks not for him and in an hour when he is not aware and cut him asunder and appoint him a portion with the unbelievers. But here's verse 47 is what was really jumped out to me. And that servant which knew his Lord's will and prepared not himself, neither did according to his will shall be beaten with many stripes. It goes on to say that those who didn't know the Lord's will well, they're still going to suffer judgment because of their ignorance, but they'll be beaten with few stripes. That phrase really jumped out to me. The servant that knew the Lord's will but didn't prepare himself. That puts the fear of God in me. I know in, you know, in my heart and in my mind and spirit, I know the Lord's will. But the thing is, oh God, help me to do your will with all of my heart. Lord, is there an area in my heart where I know it, but I'm not preparing myself to do it? Now, what are we talking about here? The, the, he's not saying to us that it's all on us, that we've got to do it all. In fact, we know from Scripture that we can't do it. Right? It's not in our power. The Lord said to Zerubbabel in Zechariah 4.6, It's not by might. And this is the context is man. It's not by man's might or man's power, but it's by my spirit, says the Lord. And so it's not our ability, but it's the spirit of God, the spirit of Christ, the spirit of grace working in us to accomplish his will. But God is clearly saying that we have to play that part in it, that we have to do it. But back in, in Luke twelve forty seven, here's a key. That the servant 
that knew his Lord's will prepared not himself, he neither did according to his will. The real struggle lies, and where the real key is, is it's a heart that's yielded to the will of God or not yielded to the will of God. That's what it really comes down to. Right? A heart that is prepared is a heart that is yielded to the will of God. A heart that said, okay, Lord, I surrender. That's the goal. Whether we get there fast or slow, or it takes many years of you know, difficulty and breakings and suffering, uh, some, that's up to us. But that's the place we have to come to. And I, I fully believe that God will have mercy upon us if we say, Lord, that is the worst area of my life. I struggle immensely with that area of yielding to your will. But, you know, if we come and say, Lord, I just surrender to you. And, of course, we fail again. And we come back and say, okay, Lord, I, I'm surrendering to you. And we might fall seven times, or as the Lord said to Peter, 70 times seven. Right? The number doesn't matter. It's how often we get ourselves back up and say, okay, Lord, I just come. I'm surrendering to you. And if we will not give up, then God can, he can do anything through that heart. But we have to come to that place of, Lord, I surrender. Lord, I want to do your will. I desire to do your will. You know, the Pharisees, they never came to that place. They had a will of iron. They wanted their way to happen. And the Messiah had to conform to that way. And because of that, they missed it. They missed it. But God wants to bring us to that place where our hearts are prepared. They're yielded to do His will. And when we come to that place, He can accomplish anything through us. As the Father did in the life of His Son. The Father brought Jesus to a very unpleasant place, didn't He? He had to drink a cup that was very unpleasant. He expressed that. Sometimes you read that and like, Jesus, you don't want to drink the cup? <laughs> he said no. Right? Luke 22 and verse 42. Father, if it could flow with your will, <laughs> remove this cup. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. And so it's okay to say, Lord, if it all fits in your plan, can I not drink this cup? It's okay to pray that. Jesus prayed it. But yet at the end of the day, we have to say, Lord, not my will, but your will be done. And because Jesus prayed that, he could go to the cross and he could get the victory. And God wants to do that in us. He wants to bring us to that victorious place where our hearts are open to do his will, even to delight, to do his will. Because that's the place of victory. That's where we're founded upon the rock. And the storms can come and the waves can come, but yet we can be a lighthouse that's built upon that rock. The storms can't move us and can't stop us from shining our light and saving people just because his light is shining through us. Oh, we almost got to the end. I'll close really quickly. So so God is looking for those today who can flow in the spirit and power of Elijah, John the Baptist, for this day. People who have made 
their relationships right with others, who have set their heart to do the will of God. Lord, I've come to do your will. Because in doing so, we will become a people who are prepared to meet the Lord. Father, we just thank you. Lord, we thank you for the example we've seen in this series, Lord, of the the truths that you want to work in us and do in us. And Lord, we just pray that you would, Lord, even just let us be a people who who would be prepared, even bring us to that place. Lord, we just confess our our weaknesses to you that at times we're we're not prepared and Lord our will is not flowing with yours. Lord, and there's times when our we're struggling in relationships with other people. Lord, and that these things are preventing us from flowing in that spirit and power that you want us to to be laborers in your harvest. And so Lord, we present ourselves and cry out to you. Oh, meet with us in a new and a fresh way. Oh Lord, make us a people prepared and ready to be used by you and to meet with you. Oh, that we can have that wonderful joy for all eternity because we've been made ready. We've been made into that glorious church and bride for you. Oh, do that work. We invite you. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.